welcome all of you. And thank you so much for joining us tonight. This is a weekly webinar program of Citizens Climate Lobbies that provides CCL supporters like you and I with access to in-depth training opportunities on topics related to climate change and effective climate advocacy. I'm your host, Brett Cease, and tonight we're going to be jumping into comparing permitting reform proposals across the political perspective. We're going to be joined by the wonderful Dana Nutritelli, is CCL's research coordinator. Dana is an environmental scientist by training with a BA in astrophysics and an MS in physics, and a wonderful climate journalist who has written for a whole host of outlets from Skeptical Science, The Guardian, Yale Climate uh, Connections, and is this most recent year's winner of a SEAL Award. You can find out more about that from Dana, along with an author of 10 peer-reviewed climate science papers. So we're so lucky to have you here join us today. Thank you very much, Dana, for the research that you've put into tonight's presentation. And if we've done our job well, the following three learning goals are really going to guide our discussion tonight. Dana will review why clean energy permitting reform is such a current critical climate policy area, will help understand the key permitting reform components proposed from different political perspectives, and will dive into learning where there's going to be space for an ultimate bipartisan permanent reform agreement to emerge. So with that, you're in for a real treat. Thank you all so much for being here, and the floor is yours, Dana. Thanks, Brett. So this is going to be good. We're going to make everybody a permitting reform expert in under an hour tonight. So here's our agenda. We're going to do a quick abbreviated background on permitting and permitting reform. We're going to, oops, sorry. And we're going to talk about what principles CCL supports in the area, go through proposals put forth by progressives and conservatives and centrists, and then talk about the key components in those proposals and which ones might make it into a bipartisan agreement. So very quickly, <clears throat> permitting, a permit is an official authorization from a local and or state and or federal government, depending on the size and location of the projects to begin a construction project. Uh, permitting is very important to make sure we're protecting communities and workers and environments from undue harm from the construction and operation of the project. But getting permits takes time, it takes expense. And so we have to make sure we're finding the right balance between making sure we're doing thorough and accurate permitting and environmental assessments, but not taking too long to delay this transition to clean energy by permitting clean energy projects quickly enough. So um, electrical transmission is particularly important here because thanks to the clean energy tax credits in the Inflation Reduction Act, we're anticipating an explosion in solar and wind projects uh, from here on out. But big wind and solar farms tend to be located in rural areas where there's uh, available and affordable land, whereas we need that electricity to get sent to population centers generally mostly in cities. And so you need transmission lines to connect the big wind and solar farms to where the people are. But transmission lines right now take on average a decade to build in the United States and 2030 is seven years away. And so you can see we need to speed up the process and make it more efficient so that we can get those wind and solar farms built and connected to the grid. Uh, and as the energy modeling experts at the Princeton Repeat team found, if we don't start building clean energy infrastructure and particularly electrical transmission infrastructure faster, 
we're only going to achieve about 20% of the potential of carbon pollution reductions from the Inflation Reduction Act. So we really need to speed things up with permitting reform. So one question and concern people often have is if we speed up the permitting process in general, won't that also speed up the permitting of fossil fuel projects? And the answer is kind of yes, but uh, that's not the only important question. And so I like to look at this uh, using this nice chart from the US Energy Information Administration, looking at the annual electric generation capacity additions in the United States since the year 2000. And so if you go back to early 2000s, you can see there's it's mostly this gray, which is natural gas, because fracking made natural gas very cheap. And so that's pretty much all we were building in the early 2000s. And you can see around 2005 or so, the green starts getting bigger. Uh, that's wind energy uh, starting to become more prevalent because it started to become more cost effective and cheaper. And then around 2013 or so, you can see the yellow starting to get bigger and bigger. That's solar energy because solar energy started to get quite a bit cheaper uh, over the past decade. And the past couple of years, you can see there's quite a bit of blue growing there. That's battery storage because we've started to build so much solar energy, especially in places like California, that there's more solar energy during the daytime than we need. So you want to store some of that during the daytime so that you can then use it in the evening and the nighttime. And so you can see there's this transition that's been happening from fossil fuel predominant infrastructure towards more and more renewable energy, especially over the past three years, 2020, 21, and 22. Uh, in each of those years, 84% of the new electric generation capacity added in the United States was clean energy, and the other 16% was natural gas. And you can see what's planned in this year, 2023, it's even better. There's a ton, a ton of solar planned to be installed this year and every year from here on out because of the Inflation Reduction Act tax credits, because solar has already just become so cost effective, and because some um, uh, bottlenecks are opening up in the uh, supply chain. And so you can see there's this transition where we're starting to see all the demand, uh, or the vast majority of the demand for uh, new electric generation is clean energy. And so if we speed up permitting, that is most of what will benefit from that. And so you put that all together and look at kind of here's our calculus for clean energy permitting reform. Uh, we need to build clean energy infrastructure faster for the climate so that we can get our emissions down and meet our Paris uh, commitments. We also need to build it faster for frontline communities because there are a lot of existing uh, dirty fossil fuel pollution sources that are not only putting carbon uh, and greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, they're also releasing other air pollutants into the communities located around those power plants. And so we need to build uh, clean energy, energy infrastructure faster so that we can replace those dirty sources of energy and pollution with wind and solar and clean sources so that those communities don't have to keep breathing that pollution, which results in adverse health effects and premature deaths that are avoidable if we can get permitting reform done and get the clean stuff built. As we saw, most of what's being slowed down by the permitting process right now is clean energy. And so I think we've reached the point where we need to focus less on the supply side and stopping the construction of fossil fuel infrastructure and more on the fact that the demand has shifted towards clean energy because it's cheaper, it's got the tax credits, everybody likes the clean energy. And so we need to let the clean energy be built faster through permitting reform. 
So that's all the background I'm going to do, but we did a whole uh, CCU and we have a whole training page on in general, why clean energy permitting reform is an important client priority uh, from last November. If you go to our uh, training page, you can go to community and just search for clean energy permitting reform and that will take you there. Brett will probably put a link in the chat because he's very good at that. So that's if you want more detail about the background, but now we're gonna get into more of the specifics. So how do we speed up permitting? There's kind of different categories of things you can do. Uh, some of them we've already accomplished, like the bipartisan infrastructure bill from two years ago and the Inflation Reduction Act from last year had some small useful legal changes and the IRA had some really important funding to federal agencies so that they can do uh, environmental reviews for the permitting process so that they can devote more resources, hire more staff, and that will allow them to do reviews more quickly. So that's very helpful. And then there is the executive branch and federal agencies doing what they can do. Uh, so for example, the Federal Energy, Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, uh, is doing some proposed new rules to try to speed things up, for example, uh, so that they can review multiple similar projects at the same time rather than just reviewing one project at a time. Uh, so they're trying to do what's within their authority to speed up uh, the permitting review process. And then the Biden administration also directed federal agencies to make uh, action plans and set timeline goals and uh, engage stakeholders early in the process, in the permitting uh, process, so that basically it's doing what federal agencies can do within their existing authority to speed things up in the permitting process. Uh, but what's in their uh, existing authority is limited, and so what we can do is lobby Congress to try to, to do what they can to speed up the process, for, for example, giving federal agencies more authority so that they can take more actions to speed up permitting and to uh, streamline some relevant laws uh, so that things go faster. Uh, in general, uh, CCL supports policies in the clean energy permitting reform area that add to America's capacity to transmit clean electricity because we saw how important that is that speed up the approval of clean energy projects that are waiting to be built, and also preserve communities' ability to make their voices heard on the environmental and other impacts of proposed energy projects. So we're not gonna support just any permitting reform. It has to be what we consider good permitting reform, uh, which has these two general components. It has to drive down carbon pollution by speeding up the approval of these good clean energy projects and it has to also protect the health and safety of American people and community. So those are kind of our two overarching goals. And so uh, along these lines, CCL signed on to this uh, coalition letter uh, advanced by the Chamber of Commerce, which was interesting that Chamber of Commerce has historically not been so good on climate policy, but when it comes to permitting reform, a lot of businesses and industries would benefit from a streamlined permitting process. And so they're on board with permitting reform and getting it done. And so they uh, put forth this letter that lists these four key principles, uh, one being predictability so that project developers have a better idea of how long the permitting process is going to take, uh, efficiency so that agencies, federal agencies, uh, work better with each other and with the public in a more efficient manner, uh, more better transparency so that public, uh, the public and project applicants can see more clearly where in the process, uh, the permitting process of project is, and also importantly, stakeholder input, 
uh, making sure that all relevant stakeholders are adequately informed and have the opportunity to, to provide input within a reasonable and consistent time frame. So these are all really good principles. Uh, so CCL was happy to sign on to this letter, which I think shows that CCL is really taking a leadership role in the clean energy permitting reform area. Um, but there were some other groups that uh, that we that we like that signed on to it, like the R Street Institute, which is uh, a think tank that supported carbon pricing quite a bit. Uh, the bipartisan uh, policy center has done some good stuff. So yeah, that's a, that was our good letter. So now we're going to go through permitting reform proposals from progressives and conservatives and centrists. Uh, so the progressives in uh, the coming slides are going to be indicated by a blue check mark. Uh, so one just recently was introduced by uh, Sean Kasten and Mike Levin called the Clean Electricity Transmission Acceleration Act. Uh, there was a letter from a bunch of organizations that are particularly interested in climate justice, like uh, Earth Justice, the Sierra Club, and NRDC, for example. Uh, Senator Ed Markey put forth a proposal of what he wants to see in permitting reform that he's trying to get progressives on board with. Uh, the House Sustainable Energy and Environment Coalition, SEEK, uh, put out a policy brief what they want to see in permitting reform at the end of the last Congress. And there's a think tank uh, called the Progressive Policy Institute that also made their recommendations of what they think should be in permitting reform. So in general, uh, the progressive proposals uh, focus a lot on giving FERC more authority, especially over permitting of transmission lines. Uh, they're very interested in early community involvements and engaging environmental justice communities and organizations. And their main concern is in eroding uh, NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act, which is kind of the main law that governs the permitting process. Uh, their concern is that if we, if the timelines in there are shortened too much uh, in terms of public input, then those groups will be cut out of the process. And so we just have to make sure that when we're doing these changes, we're not cutting these groups out of the process that we're actually actively trying to get them more involved in the permitting process. Uh, then we have conservative proposals will be indicated by a red check mark in the coming slides. Uh, the big one here is HR1, the Lower Energy Costs Act. Uh, so this was interesting because HR1 is devoted to the issue that the incoming House majority thinks is the highest priority in the new Congress. And so in this new Congress, House Republicans included permitting reform in their HR1, indicating that they recognize that it's a really important priority, and that's really encouraging. Um, CCL couldn't support HR1 because while it does have some good permitting reform stuff, it's also got some bad uh, fossil fuel stuff in there, but we're encouraged that they, in, 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 that they recognize the importance of permitting reform, so that was good. Um, just last week, Senators Capito and Barrasso and some colleagues introduced a couple bills, the Restart Act and the SPUR Act related to permitting reform. And there's also been some proposals by the conservative think tank, the Competitive Enterprise Institute that we looked at. So in general, the conservative proposals are mostly focused on streamlining the NEPA process. Uh, as I mentioned, they tend to have lots of fossil fuel specific provisions, but I wouldn't worry too much about those because the ultimate permitting reform package has to have bipartisan support. It's got to get the votes of Democrats in the Senate, and it's got to be signed by President Biden. And so most of that fossil fuel specific stuff is going to get filtered out. Um, so not too concerned about that. And the main concern from conservatives is about transferring authority from the states to the federal government. 
uh, for example, giving FERC authority over um, authorizing interstate transmission lines, which currently that authority is given to the individual states. Uh, so in general, conservatives like keeping authority within states and not transferring it to the federal government. So I'll talk about that more in a little bit here. And then we have the centrist proposals, which are going to be indicated by the purple checkmark. Uh, the big one being Senator Manchin's Energy Independence and Security Act, which he introduced in the last Congress. Um, and at the time, CCL recommended to senators that they vote in favor of that bill, because our conclusion was that it would do uh, it would be a net benefit. It would do net good. Um, Senator Manchin has reintroduced the bill just recently. Uh, CCL is not going to endorse it because, again, it's not a perfect bill. Uh, there's stuff in there like the Mountain Valley Pipeline that's not great, but uh, nevertheless, it's a good starting point. And uh, I think President Biden actually just recently endorsed that uh, today. And then there's some policy briefs and reports and recommendations from a variety of centrist uh, think tanks, the Brookings Institution, the Aspen Institute, and the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation that we also looked at. So in general, these centrist proposals have lots of overlap with progressives and conservatives, uh, which is good because the progressives and the conservatives don't have a lot of overlap with each other. Uh, but the centrist proposals have some of the progressive and some of the conservative uh, components in there. So they include some uh, giving FERC more authority and some measures to streamline the NEPA process. So it's kind of a good starting point um, to broker a bipartisan compromise package because they've got kind of some of what everybody likes in their centrist proposals. So if you want to see uh, the details of each of those proposals I just outlined, uh, if you go to our new uh, training page of comparing permitting re reform proposals across the political spectrum, if you go to the resources tab, I've got a couple of links in there to a document that summarizes the provisions in each of those proposals and a document, a spreadsheet that compares the provisions between uh, the different proposals. And so if you want to get really wonky and see all the details of the individual proposals, that's a good place to go. But a good way to think about this is that none of those individual proposals is going to be, that's not going to be the ultimate uh, permitting reform agreements. We're ultimately going to get this bipartisan agreement that kind of plucks pieces and components from a lot of these different proposals, but it's like it's not taking an entire proposal and introducing that and making that the, the permitting form agreement. It's going to be like bits and pieces sewn together into a package that's able to get enough votes to pass in the House and the Senate and then get President Biden's signature. So along those lines, uh, we want to see what are the key components that can address C CCL's main goals, uh, which I mentioned one of those being that we want to add electrical transmission capacity because that is so important. And so in order to speed up long distance transmission line permitting, especially those that go between multiple states, uh, there are a few bills introduced there. Uh, Senator Whitehouse introduced what's called the Site Act. He actually introduced it in the last Congress and reintroduced it in this Congress. Uh, and what that does is for large interstate transmission lines, it transfers the permitting authority from individual states to FERC. And so FERC would be taking, uh, taking over the permitting process just for like the largest interstate transmission lines because those are particularly important. Um, again, conservatives are not big fans of that idea because transferring that authority from states to the federal government. Uh, Senator Manchin in his package had a similar provision, but he tweaked it a little bit to try to make it a little more uh, friendly to conservatives. So we'll see if that gets any traction. 
And then Senator Hickenlooper has also, he's about to introduce one, a bill called the Big Wires Act, which is a great name. They always come up with great names for these bills. Um, so that one, it basically tells regional grid operators that they have to do a certain, create a plan to do a certain amount of inc interconnections between regions. And so if you add that interconnection capacity, then you can add more uh, wind and solar to the grid, and it kind of just helps alleviate these problems. And so it's a constructive uh, solution that because it's keeping the authority within the regions, it's probably going to be uh, easier to get conservative support for that. It does have FERC as like a backstop that if a particular region uh, doesn't create a plan for these interconnections, then FERC will step in and make the plan for them. But as long as each region makes a plan and the authority stays within the regions and we're not transferring that authority to the federal government. Uh, another uh, provision to add transmission capacity is uh, cost allocation because there's oftentimes these long extended fights over who's going to pay for how much of a new transmission line. And so a simple solution for that is to tell FERC like allocate the cost proportional to who benefits from a line. And so if like a transmission line ends in a given place and then that place benefits from receiving all that electricity, they're getting most of the benefits, so they should pay for most of the costs of the transmission line, for example. Um, so that will kind of alleviate all that fighting and speed up the permitting process. Um, similar to the Site Act, we can also designate big transmission systems of strategic national importance and say that therefore they should get an accelerated permitting process. And uh, there's also been a proposal to create a specific office of transmission within FERC because transmission is again so important and such a large scale issue that maybe there should be an office specifically focused on that within FERC. And uh, to speed up clean energy projects, another one of our goals. Um, for example, we can improve interagency coordination because oftentimes for these big projects, there are multiple federal agencies working in the permitting process for a given project. And so one smart thing to do is to designate a lead agency and say the other agencies can provide their feedback and input, but the lead agency will make the ultimate uh, decisions. And so that kind of speeds up the process because you're making it more efficient by making one uh, main decision maker. Uh, another thing you can do is that sometimes there will be uh, disputes between these federal agencies on a given project, and that can delay the project. And so a simple, smart thing to do is to establish a process uh, to resolve disputes. For example, just saying within 30 days, the federal agencies have to get together in a meeting, resolve the dispute, and then they have another 30 days to issue the resolution, just something simple like that. And then ideally, we would also have uh, clear and transparent project timelines, at least having goals to, for the federal agencies to say, okay, we want to get the permitting done within this amount of time, and we're going you know, to make it transparent of where we are in that timeline. Uh, so along those lines, one thing we can do is to create an online permitting status tracking website um, so that anybody can kind of log on and look up a certain project and see where in the permitting process uh, that project is. Uh, so that would help streamline and or make the NEPA process more transparent. Uh, another proposal would, so in some cases, there's already for a given project been an environmental assessment before the NEPA process. And so some have proposed that during the NEPA process, we can reuse that existing environmental assessment if the project has remained uh, relatively unchanged. And so that would streamline the process so you're not doing duplicative environmental assessments. 
And then there is an existing system created during the Obama administration called FAST41, uh, which is basically for projects that are uh, of a certain size. They have to have over $200 million in investments, so they're big projects. Then they can apply to get in this FAST41 system, which is uh, which has a big interagency um, commission. And so uh, this committee, basically, it's comprised of relatively high-level people in each agency, and they will kind of expedite that project because it's pretty they're designated as pretty important. And so they'll kind of expedite the permitting, and they have an online website where you can see where in the schedule it is. And so it's got a lot of these components that, we've, that we're talking about already built into the system. And so someone proposed, let's use the FAST41 system and kind of expand it. So for example, take that threshold from a $200 million investment and say it only has to have a $50 million investment to potentially qualify for this FAST41 system. Uh, another thing we can do is have federal agencies like the EPA designate areas that have low environmental sensitivity. So like look at a map of environmental sensitivities and say like, oh, over here, there's not much environmental sensitivity. So that would be a good place to build a transmission line or a big wind farm or a big solar farm. And then those areas are kind of like go-to areas that will have expedited permitting because the federal agencies have already determined that they have low environmental sensitivity. And another thing that we could do would be to have these agencies in the permitting process consider all of the benefits of these projects. So for example, a transmission line, you might consider that's going to allow more wind and solar to be built and added to the grid, which is going to reduce climate pollution. It's going to reduce air pollution. It's going to improve public health. Uh, it's also going to make the grid more stable. So if you consider all those benefits, then you're more likely to approve the project uh, ultimately. And then early community, uh, community involvement, uh, I've mentioned is really important. We wanna make sure that frontline communities are able to make their voices heard in the permitting process of projects that could directly impact them. Um, and that's also really useful. Not only are we making sure these communities are involved in the process and making their voices heard, but when they are involved and they are less likely to object ultimately that they have been excluded, in which case that can often cause uh, lawsuits to happen. If, if a group thinks like we weren't involved, we disagree with the ultimate conclusion of this permitting process. So we're going to sue and try to stop it. Um, and then those lawsuits, they can really extend the timelines of these projects for a long time because the legal process is very slow. And so ideally we want to avoid as many of these lawsuits as possible. A good way to do that is to make sure we're getting early community involvement. So it's kind of a win-win that you get everybody engaged and involved in the process and making their voices heard and you avoid uh, lawsuits down the line so that ultimately speeds up project timelines. So those are kind of the key components and now we're going to look at uh, who has proposed which of these. So we talked about giving FERC more authority over interstate transmission lines and the cost allocation of those transmission lines that's been proposed by progressives and centrists. Uh, as I mentioned, conservatives are not a big fan of giving FERC uh, the authority that states used to have. And so again, we just have to find a way to do this that uh, conservatives can live with. Um, a bunch of Senate climate hawks have said they won't vote for a permitting reform uh, proposal if it doesn't include this because this transmission stuff is so critically important. So we just have to find a way to do it that can get conservatives on board too. And then these uh, provisions to improve agency efficiency and transparency, like designating a lead agency, establishing dispute resolution procedures, uh, setting at least goals for environmental review timelines and adding transparency. That's something that has uh, support across the political spectrum. 
which is good. That's kind of a good starting point uh, that everybody agrees that these are good ideas. And so that's kind of a good backbone for a permitting reform package. And then expanding the FAST 41 program, uh, something that's been proposed by centrists and conservatives. Uh, I think it's something that a lot of progressives could get on board with too. Uh, and then doing things to expedite approvals, like the designated low impact and go-to areas of low, low environmental sensitivity, considering all the benefits of a project. Uh, that's been proposed by progressives and centrists, and I don't think there's any particular reason why conservatives should object to that, so that could get bipartisan support. And then ensuring that there is early community involvement so that we're getting everybody involved and hearing everybody's voice uh, has been proposed by progressives and centrists, and I don't think there's any reason why conservatives should object to that either, especially if it helps to limit the number of lawsuits and thus uh, shorten overall timelines. I think conservatives could probably get on board with that too. So those are all kind of the provisions that could be uh, the main parts of a bipartisan uh, permitting reform package in Congress. And then there are some other possible components that could get in there too. Um, so for example, instead of just setting goals for timelines, setting strict time limits for environmental documents, like saying an environmental assessment has to be done within one year, an environmental impact statement has to be done within two years, um, that has been proposed by centrists and conservatives. It's something that some progressives worry about because if you rush the federal agencies too much, that could result in a flawed document being published. And then if a flawed document is published, that opens up the possibility of lawsuits, which again can extend these project timelines. Um, so one way to potentially alleviate that uh, potential is to kind of create an off-ramp for a federal agency where they try to get it done with those timelines. But if they're not able to, then they can kind of petition uh, the project applicant for an extension, a timeline extension. And then the project applicant will be smart to agree to that so that they're not opening themselves up to lawsuits. Um, so I think there are ways to do this uh, in a smart way uh, that could set these timelines, but still um, leave these uh, potential extensions. So that could potentially have some bipartisan support. Uh, establishing projects of strategic, strategic national importance that get an expedited uh, permitting review is something that has the concept has support across uh, the political spectrum, but uh, progressives think that projects of strategic national importance are just clean energy, and conservatives think that they're just fossil fuels, and centrists think that there should be some uh, clean energy and some fossil fuels. And so the concept of designating these really important projects that get expedited review has bipartisan support. It's just that they disagree on which the type of projects uh, should be that get that uh, strategic national importance designation. And then currently there is a six year statute of limitations on NEPA lawsuits. And so you can go through the permitting process and then six years later, somebody files a lawsuit and grinds everything to a halt. Uh, which creates a lot of uncertainty for project developers. And so there's been proposals to shorten that uh, time frame. And so that's been proposed by centrists and conservatives. It was proposed anywhere from a two month to a two year uh, statute of limitations on these lawsuits. Uh, so I think shortening it makes sense. I think you just have to be careful not to shorten it too much. Because for example, if an organization is considering a lawsuit and they're coming up against a timeline, where they have to file it, then they will be forced to file a lawsuit and that will cause more lawsuits and cause longer project delays. And so you want to make sure that 
you're not giving too much time to file a lawsuit, but not getting too short a time that it kind of forces everybody's hands so that they have enough time to fully consider whether they agree with the decision or they want to ultimately bring a lawsuit. So you have to be careful with that one. Uh, I mentioned uh, progressives like the idea of creating an office of transmission within FERC. Um, I don't see why anybody would object to that necessarily. Uh, I talked about the reuse of environmental assessments that have previously been done uh, when we get into the NEPA process. That's something that uh, progressives and conservatives have uh, proposed um, with the caveat that it has to be uh, projects that have not significantly changed between the environmental assessments. So as long as the project is roughly the same and the site is roughly the same, then it makes sense to kind of reuse previous assessments. So that just has to be done carefully. And then an interesting one proposed by centrists and conservatives is to reduce the permitting barrier, barrier specifically for geothermal power, uh, because so the oil and gas industry has so much influence that they have gotten a lot of categorical exemptions for kind of small exploratory drilling for oil and gas, but uh, small exploratory drilling for geothermal power does not have those same exemptions. And so there's actually a really long, it takes a really long time to get any geothermal projects done because there's a very extensive permitting process. And so some have proposed, let's put geothermal drilling on the same footing as oil and gas drilling so that they can done it, get it done in a more expedited manner uh, and then proceed. And then conservatives have also proposed to do regular federal land leasing for geothermal projects. And so uh, personally, I'm a fan of the potential of geothermal power, and so I like the idea of trying to make it easier to get geothermal projects done. So that's another potential uh, component in this package. A huge round of applause. Please join me in thanking you, Dana. This was a really comprehensive and very in-depth presentation. Reminder that at the end of each of our trainings, you should be able to find this little green button um, or in the action tracker under chapter and volunteer development have that as an option under the drop-down menu. So make sure to keep logging your trainings. And if you have found uh, tonight's training useful, uh, just a reminder again on that last slide that uh, we are welcome all of your feedback. We'll also put a link to cclusa.org forward slash nerd corner, which has been having a lot of these conversations throughout the whole year already. Uh, thanks to Dana and the whole research coordinating teams efforts. Um, so please join that conversation after tonight. Thank you so much. It's been a real treat to have all of you on here. And we hope that you found tonight's training useful and empowering. Care, stay safe. And uh, we look forward to hearing what you use tonight's training with. Thank you, Dana. Thank you, Dana. Thank you, Dana. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.